Are you interested in getting into government contracting and you're not sure whether it makes more sense to buy an existing business or start up your own business? If so, this podcast is going to answer a lot of questions for you today. We're going to be diving into this and talking about the pros and cons of each. And guess what? If you already own a government contracting business and you are thinking about making the leap to the next level, there's a lot of really good points in here about acquiring another business. I really believe if you are trying to jump to another level and you have just kind of bottomed out or plateaued or whatever it is you want to call it in your business and you can't figure out how to overcome that hump and make that giant leap in revenue, then acquiring a new business is a great way to go. I'm a huge fan of it. I think it's really, really important. You get to acquire customers, past performance. There's all kind of really good things about buying an existing business. As we go through today, you're going to hear a lot about that. Why don't we start off with the pros and cons of starting a new business? One of the pros for starting a brand new business is you get to build the business according to your vision, your goals. You know, do you want it to be a lifestyle business? Do you have something else in mind? As you go through your development of that new business, you can change your mind at any time. So let's say you start going down the road of, hey, we're going to start an IT consulting firm and we're going to focus on cybersecurity. And maybe a year in, you're like, gosh, I hate cybersecurity. I despise cybersecurity. I want to do something else. And you could totally flip the business and focus on another part of IT consulting or something else, another service or whatever it may be. When you're in charge and you're building a startup, you have a lot of flexibility on how you design that business. The next pro of starting a business, maybe one of my favorite ones, is you have no legacy issues or existing problems. So you get control of the brand, you get control of the employees, you get control of the products and services. That's not always the case if you buy an existing business. There may be legacy issues that you have to deal with. This is one of the pros to me about starting a brand new business is you get to call all the shots. You don't have to deal with all of those old problems. Another thing that's really cool when you're starting a brand new business is the flexibility. Not only to choose like your location, your target market, your business model, all those things. You get to make those decisions. What if you don't want to work in the Northeast or the Northwest or the South or the Midwest? What if you want to work remotely? What if you do want to work locally? Like, hey, maybe I just moved to Tampa and I want to work locally and that sort of thing. You get to make those decisions that you don't always get to make when you have an existing business. When you have an existing business and that model is up and running, it may be very difficult to turn that ship and go another direction or say, hey, you know what? We've enjoyed working in Tampa, but now I'm going to buy a place in Oklahoma and I'm going to move out there and start over from scratch. It may be difficult. You may have employees that are all in Tampa. Depending on the type of business, you may have to be the one that works remotely or starting over. I really like the flexibility of choosing the location, your target market, all that kind of stuff, because you can say, look, I'm former army. I want to serve the army. I'm former intelligence. I want to serve the intel community. I'm a former nurse or doctor or whatever. And I want to focus in the medical community. I'm former law enforcement. I want to focus in law enforcement. You get to make all those decisions. And I really like that flexibility that a startup allows. Another really big one to me is the company culture. And you get to develop that from scratch. As an owner of a business, 
business, there's probably no better piece of the business that is going to be yours than the company culture of deciding how do we treat employees? How do we treat customers? You know, what are our philosophies around family and those types of things? You get to ingrain that into your team and it's all yours instead of where it's an existing company where you have to start from scratch with that and go, okay, do I like the culture? Do I need to change the culture? I like being in charge of the culture. And then probably one of my favorite ones, I know I said I've really liked a bunch of these, but one of my favorite ones is you answer to no one. When I'm talking to entrepreneurs all the time, that's one of the things that I love to hear them say is I answer to no one. And I say, well, except for the bank, right? If you have loans or things like that, you answer to no one except for the bank or maybe your family, that sort of thing. But you really answer to no one. There's nobody or having to deal with like when it's a franchise or anything like that. Because if it is a franchised business and there are franchise businesses that do business with the government, you sort of answer to that franchisor. Whether you like it or not, they get to call the shots. Now, a lot of franchisees have a lot of flexibility, but at the end of the day, there are rules and there is some sort of framework with your marketing and your branding and all those kind of things. As a startup, I like answering to no one. I think it's a really big one. So let's talk about some of the cons. On the con side, there is high risk and uncertainty in terms of revenue and profitability. So when you start out and you're in that startup mode, you don't have a track record. You don't have existing revenue. You don't have a customer base. All you have is uncertainty when you start out. Some people may like that and some people may despise that. To counteract that con, I always recommend you have a minimum of a year and a half to two years living expenses, if possible. There's some people that lose their job and wind up going in startup mode and it is what it is or you can't find a job or whatever. But if you're making that decision consciously, I think having 12 to 18 months or 24 months worth of expenses is really important because when that cash flow gets cut off, it's amazing how quickly the bills add up and the cash flow dwindles. The more money you have, the more time you have to do it right. The con of that is sometimes people look and say, well, I've got 18 months, two years worth of cash, so I can kind of take my time. And they're like, you know what? I've been working real hard, so I'm just going to take the next month off. I'm going to go on this vacation and that kind of stuff. So too much cash can actually be a risky thing based on your personality. I recommend you get in there, you hit it hard, and you'll overcome the high risk and uncertainty. Another one of these that I think is important for people to know is when you're doing a startup, it requires a significant amount of upfront cash into the business, not just your personal money. So when I was talking about that 18 to 24 months of cash, what I'm talking about there is just like living expenses. That's the main thing. We're not even talking about the money you're going to need to invest in the company. So you need a computer, you need a microphone, you need a camera, you need Microsoft Office, whatever it is you need. Maybe you need multiple computers or subscriptions to services and things like that. Now all of a sudden you have $500 a month, you have $1,000 a month worth of ongoing expenses in the business. You need insurance. Now there's money going out to that or whatever it may be. There's a lot of upfront investment without income coming in a lot of times. And so you just have to be prepared for that and have some sort of budget. That's the big thing for a lot of people is they don't budget any of that stuff. And then you sit back and you're like, well, where's all the money going? Well, it's all these unbudgeted things that we hadn't thought about. Whether you start the budget before you start the business or you start a budget a few months into the business, work 
work from a budget, know what it costs to keep the lights on, know what it costs to break even, know what it costs to make a profit, that sort of thing. You need to understand that to offset this con. Another big con is the brand recognition and customer base. In a situation of a startup, there's no brand recognition. No one's ever heard of you. They may have heard of Mike, but they likely haven't heard of your company or the services you provide or anything like that. If you're a brand new startup, they don't know anything about you. You've got to build that brand. When I look at marketing in the traditional sense, it often takes 20, 30 times of somebody hearing your name to kind of sort of get what you do if it's even remotely obscure. You know, like when you get into IT consulting or 95% of the businesses in government contracting, when I sit down with somebody, people will say, so tell me again, what is it you do? And unless it's something simple like landscaping, tree removal, building maintenance, a lot of times it's confusing for people. So they're like, so what do you do as an IT consultant? What do you do as a cybersecurity consultant? What do you do as a, you know, wastewater management consultant? Like, what do you do? They have to wrap their head around it. It takes time for people to understand what your brand is all about and what your company actually does. That time is part of that 18 to 24 months of building up the company. Another con is when you start off in the startup mode, you don't have a track record or proven success to attract investors or loans or anything like that. One of the things that my bankers always told me back in the day was banks want to give you money when you don't need it and they don't want to give you money when you do need it. The reason is when you're doing well, like say you have a nice job and the bills are all paid and all that kind of stuff, they're like, hey, let's give you loans, all those kind of things. But then when you're doing your business and you don't have income, they're like, ah, we can't finance you because you don't have a revenue stream to bounce this off of. It makes it difficult to secure loans or financing when you have a pinch. Again, that just reinforces the need to make sure you have the finances you need going into the business or else you're going to be in a situation where down the road you can't convince a bank to give you a loan or you've got to go to what I consider like the loan sharp type of loans where it's very, very high interest. It's not a good situation for you and I highly don't recommend that sort of thing. Here's another con, the potential for a high failure rate. You know, I've always heard that 80 plus percent of small businesses fail in the first year and out of the ones that make it into the second year, another 80% of those fail. I have talked to tens of thousands of businesses across the country and whether it's brick and mortar, whether it is government contracting, there are a lot of companies that are one or two bad quarters away from totally being wiped out. That's just the way it is. They're running tight and one wrong move and they're done. And it's a combination of factors, but it is more so when you are early on and you don't have that consistent revenue, you don't have the savings built up you need, you've blown through half or three quarters of that savings and you're just running tight. So the potential for failure in a startup is fairly high. And I'll tell you, one of the reasons is just time. It takes time to establish the brand, to get some customers, to get a consistency of your marketing and your sales, to hire the right people. You may come out and hire some people and they're just not a good fit because guess what? You don't even know what you're doing when you start off as a CEO of your own startup. So it could just be a lot of little things in that first year or two that cause the high failure rate. And there are ways around that through coaching, through consulting, through the right mentors and all those sort of things. But you just need to be aware that's one of the big cons of a startup. I would say this might be the most important one for you to hear is the significant amount of diverse skills needed. As a startup, as a solopreneur, if you will, that's a really popular term. When you're the only person in the 
company, you need to know how to do sales, marketing, business development, proposal writing, pricing. You need to be able to do all those kind of things and you have to do them concurrently. So it's not like you can say, well, I'm just going to come in tomorrow and do this. Well, you also may have a sales meeting in the morning, then a proposal you're writing in the afternoon and something else you're doing in the evening. You have all of that going on, plus the need to understand technology. Like how do I get my email accounts set up? All those kind of things. Who's going to help me with that? And if you don't have cash flow, all of that falls on your shoulders. You may be sitting up at night watching YouTube videos, figuring out how do I set up my Outlook or my Gmail? How do I get a domain name? How do I get a website built? You may be asking all those questions or guess what? You may not be good at PowerPoint or any of that kind of stuff or Word and you need a capability statement. How are you going to build that? There's all those things you run into. So the diverse set of skills needed is often the other thing. If I had to narrow it down to two reasons that startups fail, it's number one is time. And that's really because of cash. So time will get you. And then the second one is these diverse skills where you just don't have the skill set needed or the discipline to come in and do sales every day. I'll see a lot of times, this happens in engineering a lot, where engineers will come in, they're really focused on the product, but they're not focused on sales. And they're like, look, I'm just gonna focus on the product for the next six months. So you're not gonna do sales for six months? How's that going to work out? It's not going to end very well, that's for sure. And then they'll get wrapped around, hey, I'm trying to perfect the product. And I'm like, it's never going to be perfect. Make this version 1.0. Get it out the door, man. You're a one-person shop. You need to get this going. There are different personality types that will gravitate towards one thing or another and, and just not even worry about that other stuff. And that causes an issue. So if you don't have a diverse set of skills and you're able to juggle multiple things at a time, that's really, really difficult. Those are the pros and cons on a startup did you know we have our own government contracting community? It's called Federal Access. And inside Federal Access, you have all the tools, tips, strategies, documents, templates, everything you're ever going to need to be a government contractor. But you also get brought into our ecosystem. You get into our private LinkedIn group and you get into our live events and all that kind of thing when you become a member of Federal Access. To learn more, go to federal-access.com forward slash game changers. Now let's get back into this episode. Let's dive in and talk about the pros and cons of buying an existing business. One of my favorite things about an existing business is the established brand recognition and customer base. If you find the right company and they're well received in the market, they've got high ratings you know, on their CPARs, they are loved by their customers and they have dozens if not hundreds of testimonials and they have a big broad customer base, you can jump in and make minor tweaks and start exponentially growing that business. But in that situation, if they have an established brand, they have a lot of customers, ideally, you're going to be able to cash flow immediately. You're going to be able to pay the bills. You're going to have money in your pocket to pay the cash that you're going to need to buy them out of their business. Because a lot of times you don't just do one lump sum. You may do multiple payments or you'll do a loan based on the business and it's cash flow, but you're making payments on that. You need a customer base in order to do that. So that potential for cash flow and profitability, that is at the top of my list of, hey, this is a great thing about this. And those established customers. Typically, if you've been treating them right, it's going to go a long way. You're going to have that for years and years and years. The next thing on the pros list is the established systems, processes, and employees in place. And it should be running like a well-oiled machine. In fact, if you buy the right business, you shouldn't even have to step into it. It should be an option for you to come in and run as the CEO because it's running so well. So I love that there's a potential for you to buy something that can actually run in your sleep, which is really 
what a business is. The proven track record and established financial history allow you to leverage the business in a lot of different ways. If you need money for growth, let's say you bought a $10 million company and you're trying to take it to 20 million, you need to hire six people and you need some office space and you need some other investments. You can go to a bank and you can get another loan for growth. That's a really good thing about an established business. So those are most of the pros for buying existing business. I'm a huge fan of that. I think it's a great way to go if you've got the cash flow and you find the right business. It's awesome. And then at that point, if this is your first business, you may just need some mentoring to make sure you know how to structure new things that are going on in the business, how to take it to the next level. If you're migrating it into or merging it into an existing business, you may need some coaching or consulting to make sure that transition is smooth and you know the employees that you're absorbing are, are all coming on board under the new company culture and that sort of thing. But overall, there's a lot of pros to buying a, an existing business if you can afford it. Let's talk a little bit about the cons. So on the con side of things, there's higher upfront cost to purchase a business. You're talking millions of dollars, not tens of dollars. I mean, I've started up companies for under $1,000. I mean, that's the difference. Under $1,000, maybe a couple of million dollars. It really just depends on that business. Now, again, like I said earlier, you should be able to get a loan based on the revenue, based on the profit, so that it's a portion of what's going out the door, but you're still cash flowing. But there's a higher upfront cost and it could be in the millions. There's potential for hidden problems and unknown liabilities. What if one of your owners did something sketchy in the past and that wasn't caught through the due diligence and all of a sudden it shows up one day, you're two, three years into owning that business, that's there. There's the hidden problems of, hey, you know, no one told me that there's been an internal power struggle over positions in the company or internal power struggle over the development of a product or the delivery of a service, whatever it is. And that didn't come out in due diligence because everybody was on their best behavior or whatever it may be. You know, those hidden problems that are under a rock are the ones that really worry me. And that's why I always say when you're doing due diligence on something like this, dig deep, ask a lot of questions. Don't be afraid to do multiple rounds of questioning because you want to try to uncover every problem. A problem doesn't mean you walk away from the deal. A problem just means you go in with your eyes wide open and that's a big deal. The other one here is you know just the limited ability to make significant changes or alterations to the business model without disrupting the whole company. You may come in and say, this is stupid. Why are we doing this? You try to make a change and the rest of the team is like, well, we're doing it that way because this is broken and this is broken or we do it this way because this person doesn't understand this technology or, hey, we have this accounting system and it doesn't work with this tool. And if you just try to make a quick change, you may uncover that, hey, this is that whole onion thing. We're like, hey, if we're going to change this, we're also going to have to change this other thing and this other thing. You may get really deep into, wow, I thought this was going to be a $50,000 fix and now it's turning out to be a half a million dollar fix. You can't always just come in and make sweeping changes or quick changes without going down the rabbit hole and seeing what else it affects in the business. The other one here is the risk of inheriting a negative reputation or a tarnished brand image. That happens all the time where you come in and on the surface, you've got all these testimonials and all these things. As a business owner, I never really look through a lot of the testimonials and go, eh, that's how I'm going to make my decision on purchasing something. I make my decision based on my interaction with the company because why would any company ever publish a negative testimony on their website? Why would you publish a one-star review that said, tried it, hated it, don't recommend it? You wouldn't publish that on your website. You would never tell people, hey, you know, we worked with this one organization and gosh, 
they hated us because, you know, we screwed up. We had a bad employee. We had to fire him or, or whatever it is. There could be things going on. Maybe somebody didn't like the owner. Maybe somebody doesn't like your sales VP. Maybe somebody doesn't like your people in customer service. There could be something like that lurking. And that kind of ties into the, the potential for hidden problems. There could be something out there like that. I remember one of the companies I worked with, I had gone from a big company to a really small company. I was used to having a good image in the market. When I was with a big company, had a good image in the market. Then we went to this small company. And I remember I went to this one conference and these people were like, you know, they just kind of turned up their nose to us because I was wearing the company shirt. And I was like, what's the deal? Finally, I asked the owner and he was like, oh yeah, they hate us. They hate us. We've been taking market share from them and they despise us. And like, what about them? And I like, the same thing. We've been taking market share and they don't like the way I do business and that kind of stuff. And I'm just like, oh, you gotta be kidding me. It could be something like that. So you, your customers could be giving you high CPAR ratings and all that kind of stuff, but other colleagues in the market could despise you because they just don't like you for whatever reason. Maybe you comb your hair to the left and they wish it was the right. Who knows, right? Stuff like that happens. You know, you're taking market share and they just don't like you for whatever reason. Inheriting that kind of thing is really, really hard to overcome. And that's why a lot of times when you see a restaurant who is under new management, they put that really big on the sign outside under new management, under new ownership. So people go, oh, well, let me give it a try. I liked going to that restaurant until, you know, the management wasn't any good, but now it's under new management. Let me give it a try. You can't always say we're under new management and put that out on a sign, you've got to start talking that into the community. So that could be something that you have to deal with. And then the last thing that I've kind of hinted on this all along here with the cons on this one is, you know, buying an existing business requires a lot of due diligence, anywhere from 12 to 36 months. And the frustrating part of that is you could get 12 months into due diligence and realize this is not the company for you. That could happen. A lot of times, once you've invested that much time, you don't want to back out and that's the wrong move. If you discover something along the way that is too significant, that's the whole purpose of due diligence so that you can back out. Going through the due diligence process, if you're buying an existing company, you're likely going to talk to multiple companies. You may be working with a broker or however you're doing it and narrow it down to a list of a dozen. Then you may want to enter into some sort of NDA so that you can look at the financials for four or five of those. And then you may talk to two or three of them and you may go down that path for two, three, four months and say, none of these are for me. And then you might start over. That is something to understand about approaching this. I've talked a lot about the pros and the cons for both of these. I think it boils down to you going in eyes wide open. I've said that before today. You go in eyes wide open, understand what your financial position is, understand what your skill set is, understand the time that you have. Think about the culture you want to create. Think about the type of business. And when I say that, I mean, is it a lifestyle brand where you're really just focused on taking care of yourself, maybe one or two employees, but you're not trying to build a mega empire or, hey, I'm trying to build a mega empire. Take all of those things into consideration. And once you look at those and once you hear all these pros and cons, then I think you can sit back and say, I'm going to do a startup or I'm going to buy an existing business. At the end of the day, while there's no perfect answer to that, you should come up with an answer that fits you personally. Here's the final thing I'll say about this. At the end of the day, regardless of which route you go, if it's a startup and it's not going well, you can always get out of it. If it's an existing business that you bought and it's not going well, you can always get out of it. You can sell it. It's not the end of the day if you choose wrong the first time. You just have to understand, hey, I'm going in with these expectations, with these intentions. What's the best thing for me? You might even start out with a startup and get six, eight months in 
in and be doing well and want to leapfrog into the next level and buy a business that's similar in size and scope. A buddy of mine last year had a startup that he was offered, somebody wanted to buy him out. He's like, it's a startup. I literally don't have a tracker. I've got six customers. <laughs> They're like, but yeah, we like what you're building and all this stuff. And the offer wasn't a lot of money, but there are situations where even your startup could be sold for some amount of money to leapfrog into the next thing in life. There's a lot of different options. So if you have questions about this or want to think through what's the best route for you, please reach out. I'm happy to answer those questions for you. I would recommend, especially if you're in the startup mode or brand new to government contracting, go listen to the episode on your first year in government contracting. You can search that on whatever app you're listening to or YouTube or whatever. I'll leave you with that today. I really hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, I would really appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast and screenshot it and tag me on LinkedIn or whatever social media you use. So thank you again for joining us today and we'll see you next time.